In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. Evening, morning, and noon. I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Welcome to this week's edition of our talk podcast as we continue to look at our lectionary readings for each week. And this week we have a big festival day, don't we, Paul? Yes, it, it, um, it's the Feast of Pentecost, which actually marks the end of the, the festival season of the church year, which starts with Advent, goes to the Christmas season, Epiphany, uh, then Lent and the Easter season, and now we're in that long, well, as of next week, we're in that long green season. I think we were, we were debating this at, at one of our meetings, like, is, is the end of the Easter season Pentecost, or is it Trinity? I would say it's Pentecost. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's in the end what, what we had decided because it's it's numbered numbered that way. It's fifty days after Easter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah, <clears throat> so like we're saying here this Sunday, we have this uh, festival of Pentecost, and it, it is a big it's a big feast day for the uh, for the church. It's a big, uh, an important day. Uh, so we'll see that this uh, Sunday the pyramids on the altar and the pulpit and lectern will be red. A pastor will have a red stole and a trousable on. Uh, so, you know, right there we have an indicator. Oh, this is a feast day right here. We know this is a, a big deal. And, you know, for it was on the day of Pentecost where, you know, we had the giving of the Holy Spirit that, you know, that Christ you know, had promised and had foretold to his disciples. And red, normally red, the red pyramids come out for, for saints' days just because there, many of them were martyred. And so it's it is to symbol, symbolize the blood of the martyrs. But in Pentecost, it's a, it's a different story. Well, then on Reformation, too, it's red. But then yeah. there's also the, you know, there were, there were those who were martyred for the, you know, for the faith, too, in the Reformation. But, uh, but with Pentecost, I, I think the red color comes from the, the idea of a flame and fire that, that right. it's, it's yeah. red. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we have this, when we think of the day of Pentecost, we have this image in our head of the, you know, the flames, you know, uh, of, uh, you know, tongues of flame above the heads of the, the apostles, and, uh, you know, then how they, uh, you know, started to proclaim uh, Christ, you know, in all different languages. But yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, so that that's where we can, can get that, that, the red uh, coming from. So, like one thing I, I want to point out here is that you know, on almost any other day of the church year, uh, when it comes to our Sunday readings, normally our theme for that day we can find it often in the gospel reading, or even if you look at the collect of the day, the prayer before uh, we go into the readings. Uh, often that we can find may kind of the theme. What the theme will be for the day, but this is uh, this Sunday is a little bit different where we actually find our theme in our second reading from Acts chapter 2, uh, which is uh, actually that account of Pentecost. And then why, why is that? Well, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, neither, neither of them, uh, they don't mention Pentecost. It, it is only in the book of Acts that, that is mentioned. 
It, it does make sense, though, when you look at it as the Gospels are the story of Jesus. And Pentecost is the story of the, the Holy Spirit. Right. So, yeah. so yeah. It, 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 yeah. it is a logical organization of things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so the Gospels, you know, tell us about Jesus. And when I think of, you know, towards the end of each of the Gospels, or at least most of them, we have, you know, Christ telling his disciples that, you know, I'm going to be leaving you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send you a helper. Uh, now, I, you know, one thing to just think of now as we can transition into talking about our first reading, our Old Testament reading from Numbers chapter 11, uh, you know, all the... For the three-year lectionary, all of the readings, whether it be for you know series A, B, or C, uh, they all have that working of the Holy Spirit. So I think last year we would have been in series C. Uh, we had the the Tower of Babel. Uh, so there we have the confusion of languages, which is an interesting you know selection for Pentecost because then I mean on the day of Pentecost then we have the you know the People proclaiming in all different languages, you know, everyone was able to understand. Uh, but then next year, now in Series B, uh, it's the Valley Dry Bones, through the Holy Spirit, uh, you breathing life into the dry, the dead, dry bones, and they're, they're brought back to life. Uh, so it is an interesting collection of readings that we have. Uh, I think the, if I recall, the one-year lectionary, I think is just the Tower of Babel each year. Mm-hmm. I believe yeah. that would that would make sense to choose choose that of the three right yeah but uh, so yeah we kind of get an interesting just collection here of you know, readings that kind of the pair with this account of Pentecost you know, from Acts chapter 2 so you know as we look at our Old Testament lesson now today or for this week and for now series B uh, we can uh, you'll see this working of the Holy Spirit even still. Like I said, uh, you know, with the actual day of Pentecost, that gathering of the people was went back to the Old Testament. But so does the working of the Holy Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit has always been at work. So, you know, before we uh, get into our uh, numbers reading here, uh, your context, even just within the book, is, is key here. Uh, so, numbers, the People of Israel are in the wilderness. They've left Egypt. Uh, they're on their way to the promised land. They've probably been now in the kind of in the wilderness now for about a year on their way. Although it hasn't been announced yet, though, that they're going to be spending their 40 years. Uh, we haven't had that whole uh, debacle of uh, you know <laughs> the Lord. Uh, it's like which is probably a good thing because they were. They were um, surly enough as it was. If, yeah, they, if, if they had told them it's going to be 39 more years, then yeah, they <laughs> I were, think there would have been a riot. Right, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, leading into this, uh, like just in chapter 11 alone, I mean, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's been about a year. Uh, the Lord had just sent them manna to eat. Uh, that wasn't enough. You know, they have uh, food problems. Uh, they're not being fed what they want to be fed. It's taking too long to get there. They're getting impatient. They're griping. They're grumbling, complaining. They're much like, uh, I don't know if much has changed with uh, us sinners at all. Uh, and quite frankly, Moses is getting kind of irritated and frustrated with this. To the, to the point that, I mean, early in chapter 11, Moses is like, you know, Lord, if you're going to treat me this way, 
you know, take my life. It's like, I don't, I don't want to have to deal with these people. Uh, I, it makes me think of, uh, I think it's another uh, place in Scripture of, it talks about, you know, they're, uh, you know, kind of hard-headed people or stiff-necked oh, people. Stiff people. Yeah, yeah, it makes me think a little bit just of that. I mean, he's just frustrated. I mean, he's just... Uh, uh, but, you know, the Lord says, no, no, you know, I, I'm going to help you. But what he does then, he says, I'm going to have you uh, pick 70 men from the people of Israel that can help you as elders. And so that's what then he has is that he, has, he picks 70 men to be able to help uh, help him, uh, kind of assist him. Because, I mean, there was questions, like, is Moses going to be able to handle this? Uh, like I said, because people were... <laughs> They were complaining about ready to stone him. So uh, he, he needed help as soon as he could. Well, and, and it's kind of a reminder, too, that, I mean, you know, when, when, when you get placed in a parish, parish eventually, the importance of, of, of delegating tasks, you know, to the people around you so that, right. you know, first of all, you don't get exasperated and burned out and emotionally drained. Right. That that this, is, this was, you know, a a time-tested way of, of, of doing ministry. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, this has been around. I mean, even uh, having, like, you know, almost any pastor could probably say that importance of having the elders mm -hmm. to, to be able to assist them in some things and uh, to, to be be there to help, you know, kind of bring the congregation forward. Uh, so that's kind of the context we're in now, leading into our reading now. Uh, Moses has just, you know, had the 70 uh, selected, and uh, they're now uh, with him, uh, helping him lead the people of Israel uh, as they're on their way to the promised land. Uh, and so I think what we should do is actually just read through this text. Again, it's Numbers 11, 24 to 30. And uh, again, thinking about the role of the Holy Spirit, even here, even then, uh, you know, uh, back at the, the Old Testament. Let us keep that in the forefront of your mind as we're reading. Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And the young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. So in this reading then, we have uh, you know, the scene of uh, Moses and the 70 uh, going into the tent, and then the spirit uh, you know, being given to them, and they're able to prophesy. And now, it seems to, just in looking at kind of the scene here, that it was probably actually only 68 of the 70 actually went into the tent. Uh, two of them were left outside of the camp, which uh, looks like, uh, you know, Joshua, 
this, uh, Moses' assistant. Uh, I think he, uh, uh, I think would have wished I would have went to the tent because they kind of caused a scene here uh, in the camp in the second paragraph. But, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting here, kind of this, you know, they, they start to prophesy, but they didn't continue to do this. You know, they, they eventually uh, would cease uh, prophesying. Uh, and, and that, you know, like, so I was talking about how the Holy Spirit was active in the Old Testament. I mean, even think back to creation. I mean, the Spirit was over the, you know, the waters. And, uh, mm -hmm. I think Genesis has that. So the Spirit has always been there, always been active. Uh, but there were, I guess, maybe, for lack of better terms, limits to, to uh, the way the Spirit worked then. Uh, you know, they, they, they cease, but then you know, come, uh, you know, of course, Pentecost, you know, then uh, the Holy Spirit now, you know, is upon all believers now, and we're able to tell people about Christ. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, this is quite a scene, though, this, in the hearing about uh, El, Eldad and me, uh, Medad, if I'm uh, uh, saying them right here, yeah. Uh, El, Eldad and Medad, they're out prophesying in the camp, and in Joshua, he's like, well, Moses, I mean, these people, these two are all prophesying in the camp. Stop them. Uh, you know, he, I think he was probably concerned just more about the order of things, you know, uh, making sure that, you know, Moses was able to you know, be able to, you know, lead and keep things orderly. I mean, uh, you know, maybe in his mind, these two men were, you know, probably like, you know, likely, you know, kind of causing a stir a little bit. So he's trying to keep order. Well, it's worth remembering, too, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but, but in the translation of that as prophesying, we tend to, in English, understand prophesying as, as I mean, frequently as making predictions, but it's, it's, it's beyond that. Oh, it's right. it's, it's yeah. teaching and explaining things. It's not, you know, making predictions about things that are going to happen. So it's, right. you know, the, the, the two of them were, were teaching and, and explaining things. Right, yeah. yeah. I think you know, now in our world, we I mean, we kind of live in this context where, you know, we have like, you know, for example, the Pentecostals who you think of prophesying and, you know, speaking in tongues and all this stuff that, but I mean, prophesying here was basically just, you know, preaching. Basically. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, and speaking the word, yeah. And I think it's important to, to keep that in mind because we don't always understand that word in that way. Yeah, yeah it's not, you know, like, uh, you know, you have some of these... Uh, Television, you know, quote unquote prophets who, right, yeah, right. yeah, it's not like we think of it, uh, but it's just simply this, you know, this this proclamation of, uh, you know, telling and talking about God and you know what he what he has done. We're in our context now, you know, you think about the preaching and the proclamation of Christ and what all he has done. So, yeah, I mean, uh, these two that are still left out in the camp, uh, Joshua's wishing, he probably just went, went and went to the tent with the others. Uh, but nonetheless, they're there, and they're prophesying. And, uh, so, so Joshua is not very happy with this. But then Moses' response to him is very telling here. He said, you, you know, would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Well, isn't, isn't that, you know, telling and kind of pointing ahead to that day of Pentecost when this, you know, Holy Spirit would be upon God's people where we can now proclaim Christ? Uh, well, and, and, and 
it's just a wonderful theological explanation of well, what is the role of the spirit it's it's to instill faith in all of us so that yeah. you know that we can yeah we we can also prophesy or teach right yeah yeah and you know something that you know a day like today i mean uh, or like pentecost rather uh uh you know, kind of gives us the ability to do is reflect on that work of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, so we think of, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit, like we said, was at work in the Old Testament, but the Holy Spirit worked now in our own lives. Uh, we think of that explanation in the third article of the Creed, that, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit, you know, that, you know, I cannot believe by my, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength. To believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, light me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. Uh, and that's, that was one of my very first parts of the catechism that I memorized, mm -hmm. was that in the second article. Well, it's so worth worth reviewing and coming back to. And, and, and in fact, this this Sunday, uh, at the point where we normally say the creed, we'll... we'll, we'll add the explanation, Luther's explanation, just because we, I don't think we go back to it often enough. And it's, it's, right. it's a good review of you know, what is Luther's explanation of that. Yeah, so we actually read that together as a yeah, congregation yeah, we'll, then? we'll read that together. Okay. It's, yeah, it's, that's I mean, good Pentecost to is a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity to do that, yeah. yeah. So yeah, in uh, talking about the third article of the Creed, I mean, uh, we know that I mean, this, the Holy Spirit is still at work in our lives, you know, in the lives of you know, all believers you know, creating faith in us and then keeping us, you know, in that faith and uh, sustaining that faith in us. And, I mean, that uh, isn't to say now that, you know, having received the Holy Spirit, all believers, we can tell people about Christ. Uh, not in a sense of that we are still given ministers and preachers to be able to, you know, officially have that role of, as pastors, much like we think of, you know, even in the Old Testament, uh, we had that still. Well, it, it numbers us among the seventy, like like in the passage here that, that yeah. we're we're uh, enabled to prophesy or teach or or um, uh, explain things. Um, my, my favorite part of this passage is mm -hmm. is verse twenty five. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke to him, Moses, that is. Mm -hmm. And took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the seventy yeah. elders. Yeah. So yeah. it's very reminiscent of this image of the the one flame, you know, being divided yeah. Yeah. into multiple flames yeah. and resting on their heads. That's in that's from the story of Pentecost. Yeah, in Acts two. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's very similar to that. And so the spirit is divided in that in that same way, in the sense that we all have a share of the spirit. And the right. Spirit yeah. Is working yeah. Through the us. Holy Spirit dwells in us. And you know, that spirit which we, you know, we, in our baptism, the Holy Spirit comes to us and continues to come to us in the Word. And with that imagery, I can't help but too, but you know, in the context of just uh, pastors, I can't help but think of a little bit of uh, ordinations too. Oh, well, and... and um... I don't want to actually like say it's identical to ordination by any means, but I'm just thinking of that just a little bit. With no, Moses but, and the elders. But. but you're but you're right. That is one of the few other times when we there's a, 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 a such a heavy emphasis on the spirit as there is on on the feast of Pentecost. Is that an ordination? Service? Right. Yeah. 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 And uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, 
like I said, there's a lot in our context even today where we can see this, see this happening. Uh, so, you know, in thinking about Pentecost and the Holy Spirit, uh, well, first, I just want to actually mention, uh, we normally talk about hymns. <laughs> uh, there, there's a hymn, uh, uh, Graham, we're not singing it this week, but there's, I like the words. And it might kind of help us, let's think about Pentecost, this, what happened on the day of Pentecost. It's uh, uh, hymn uh, 489, and the words to it, uh, just of the main stanzas, you know, and this might kind of help us close out this you know, thought of Pentecost. You know, that Pentecost is that day when the Holy Ghost shone in the world with his grace, bright and in likeness of fire on those who await his appearing. Then my favorite part of, of this is he whom the Lord foretold. So, like I said, we've been paying attention the last few weeks. You know, the Lord Jesus mm -hmm. foretold this, uh, that the Holy Spirit would be sent. And I'm sure, you know, those 10 days that the apostles were in after his ascension to Pentecost, I wonder how many of those days they might have forgotten that, oh, yes, you know, Jesus had foretold this. <clears throat> so then, you know, the day of Pentecost, then the Holy Spirit you know, suddenly, swiftly descends. And I, I just like the, how, uh, how this hymn uh, puts that. Uh, and then it... Uh, for the second stanza, just to have the words in it here. You know, hark for in married tongues, Christ's own, his chosen apostles, preach to the ends of the earth, Christ and his wonderful works. So that therapy just kind of brings out this idea that the Holy Spirit's goal is to reveal Christ and to proclaim, proclaim Christ. You know, the, the attention is never on himself. <laughs> Mm -hmm. You know, it's always to reveal Christ, what he has done. Yeah, that, that is a very good good summary there. Um, uh, thank you for pointing that out. I think it's something that it probably I have underappreciated is, is, is that text. But when you look at the, when you look at the source of it, I mean, it's, it's from the, um, it's from the, well, probably the uh, late 6th century. So this yeah. is a very old text. It's an old text. And if yeah. they've hung around that long, they're usually pretty high quality. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And it really uh, captures things really well. That's, um, I, I don't know, did you mention? Yeah, you did mention the number 489 of the Lutheran yeah, 489. service. 489. Well, hey, there's plenty of other good Pentecost hymns. Oh, there absolutely are. So, I mean, <laughs> um, uh, but that hymn, uh, that's a, it's categorized in the Easter section because it's a hymn that, that has... You can use it for multiple occasions. You can use it for Easter, Ascension, and Pentecost. And we have used it for Ascension. Um, yeah, my struggle with that is is there's we have so many good Pentecost yeah. hymns. I'm I'm cool. tempted to maybe use other ones uh, uh, than that. Um, it's interesting that you happen to light upon that one because the music for that that one, uh, 489, Hail the Festival Day is actually written by the same composer um, as one that we are going to sing this Sunday, and that is uh, Come Down, O Love Divine, which is hymn 501. That's going to be the opening hymn on Sunday. And actually, I want to talk about that a little bit and um, the sermon hymn for this Sunday, which happens to be um, uh, just before that at uh, 498. So, so page turn away. The digits yeah, there, yeah. Flip the, uh, 498, <laughs> come Holy Ghost, creator blessed. And 
looking back, I noticed that that um, we had talked about this one on the podcast last year for Pentecost. But it's such a but it's such a good hymn. But, you know, it, it's 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 worth doing. You know, uh, every year and it has such a, a, a great history to it. Um, so yeah, where do we start? Well, let's let's start with that one since since I was kind of talking about that. Come come, Holy Ghost, Creator, blessed. This has such a, a long-standing history to it as well that that the author is probably uh, Rubanus Maurus, who is from the late eighth century, early ninth century, and this text is is probably one of the most famous Latin texts, okay. right up there with the with the Tadeum. That the original chant uh, um, uh, was known for a long time and, and probably one of the most celebrated texts that, that we have from that period of time. And in our hymnal, it's, I think it was very smart the way they set this up. So if you have a Lutheran service book, if you open to 498, you see two hymns there on facing pages, um, both of them using the same text. Now, the one on the right, you were asking me about this before, Vicar. Yeah. You know, which one, which one is the plain chant one and which one is the more uh, uh, hymn-like set? Well, the one on the right-hand side of the page is the original plain chant. Okay. And uh, plain chant can sometimes be a little challenging for congregations yeah. because you'll have several um, notes for each syllable. Um, and you can see that indicated there by the by the little slurs or connecting notes uh, yeah, or yeah. connecting lines between the notes. So in those cases, you have two notes per syllable. Come, Holy Ghost, Creator, blessed, and make our hearts your place of rest. Come with your grace and he heavenly aid and fill the hearts which you have made. I should have practiced it myself. <laughs> um, but it makes it a little harder for a congregation yeah, to sing. Yeah. Now that's the original melody. Um, the the um, holy orders that would sing this as part of, of, of daily, prayer, daily prayer, because they did it so frequently, they would not stumble over something yeah, right. like that because they, they sang it so frequently. But for a congregation, what Luther did on the facing page was he turned it into a, a monosyllabic hymn kind of setting. So in other words, there's one note per syllable. You can't possibly get this wrong, right? Yeah, so right, yeah. so the, the shape of the melody is, is almost identical. It's based off of the yeah, original. Yeah, it's based yeah. off the original, almost identical, but it doesn't have those little uh, skips in there where you have multiple notes per syllable. Come, Holy Ghost, Creator, blessed, and make our hearts our place of rest. Come with your grace and heavenly aid, and fill the hearts which you have made. Always one syllable per note. A little bit easier to say. Yeah. And I think Luther was smart to do it that way. Yeah. You know, I, I'm kind of reflecting a little bit. Out of the seminary, especially on call days, they often will sing this as a, a processional hymn as they're all walking in. But then they'll pick me two stanzas that the, the cantori or the, the seminary choir uh, would, would actually sing. But I think they actually then will switch using the original chant version for the cantori. Yes. But then the yeah, congregation we, will sing the, 
Yes, and, and I have watched enough of those, those call services to realize, oh, I know this very famous arrangement and we actually have it in our files okay, and we've okay. sung it. Yeah, and so the arranger, uh, Carl Schalk, yeah. Um, intentionally set it up that way so that you would hear both. Okay. Okay. Um, and it alternates between the two, uh -huh. between Luther's monosyllabic one and then the chant one. It goes back and forth. But but um, and I think you noticed this quite correctly. Who sings the chant one? The choir. The choir. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. <laughs> that's that's the one that's hard to keep together. Yeah. So um, uh, he very cleverly had those uh, set up in alternation there. And I thought about doing that for this year, but um, uh, the way our choir season worked out, we didn't have enough time uh, to work on that. But it's a, yeah, it's a very well-known arrangement. And actually that arrangement has stood the test of time yeah, because yeah. It's, you know, it's still quite popular. And I noticed they use it, uh, I think every, every I think year. Almost every year. Every yeah, year. Yeah. Um, and, and for good reason. Yeah. And, and, and the, the, the text for this one, um, it's, it's such a, a great, um, encapsulation of, of what the role of the Holy Spirit is. Yeah. These, these great phrases in here, like verse 2, to you the counselor we cry. Or we, cry. We, we are told that he's to be our counselor, our, our, our helper. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in stanza 3, in you with graces sevenfold, and it talks about you know, those graces. And um, uh, stanza 4 refers to the Holy Spirit as the light, that light that, that, that um, uh, shines within us and, and brings us to faith. And um, in, in stanza five, with you as our protecting guide, no evil can with us abide, that, that with that uh, gift of the spirit that we can, we can um, resist, resist the temptations of the devil and, and, and resist those, um, those, those sinful um, ideas and thoughts. And in stanza six, you know, where we, we ask, we petition the Spirit to teach us to know the Father, Son, uh, and, and um, instill in us that faith in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The seventh stanza, uh, not surprisingly, it's a doxological stanza. We have many hymns like yeah, that. Yeah. And, and in the history of this, um, there, there have been, believe it or not, 33 different English translations, probably a minimum of 33 translations out of the original Latin of oh. this, which tells you this is such an important text that, that 33 different people thought, oh, I'm going to take a stab at that and see if I can do it even better. Um, what's, what's interesting is that that stanza seven is not common to all of them. So that tells you that that was something that was tacked on later. It was it, not part of the original um, uh, hymn. And it, it's something that not, not every tradition uses is, is that, that seventh doxological stanza. But certainly it ranks up there as one of our most important uh, texts that we've, we've inherited from the early church. Um, now, that's, that'll be the sermon hymn, and I think it's very appropriate because that really, uh, as I said, really encapsulates our understanding, our theological understanding of, of the Holy Spirit. Uh, to contrast with that, the opening hymn, uh, if you turn back a couple of pages to 501, Come Down, O Love Divine, this one is from um, a much later source. It's from the, um, the early 14th century. From, um, it was originally an Italian vernacular hymn uh, of praise and devotion. So uh, 
whereas the one that's based on the chant is very more heavy theological kind of a teaching. Yeah, yeah. This one is, a, is more devotional. And I think that works really well as maybe an op opening hymn. It kind of you gets know, us in there, kind of that frame of mind. Yeah, meets, us, meets yeah. us where we're at, kind yeah, of, yeah, kind yeah, of speaks yeah. to us on a very personal level. Uh, and um, uh, so, it, and, and that's the beauty of hymns, is, is that they fall in these different categories. Yeah, yeah. Luther obviously tended towards the, let's use these to teach everybody about Lutheran theology, yeah, and yeah, they tend yeah. to be very heavy. You yeah, don't find... Yeah very pietistic, personal, devotional yeah, kind of poetry yeah. in Lutheran's hymn because he was looking for something to, to teach with. Right, yeah. Yeah, and maybe for me personally, maybe it's because, you know, I grew up, up to age 10, I was in the Church of Christ and my parents. Mm -hmm. okay. Well, maybe because of that shift to, you know, the Lutheran church, I, I probably tend to lean more towards, like, the Luther type stuff. Probably maybe because I think, because, I mean, like, uh, like Church of Christ, oh, that's all we kind of got was... You know, the shine, so, Jesus shine, and you know. <laughs> so, so now you've gone off into the other ditch. You're always into the heavy theological. Uh, well, uh, that's what I like. Yeah. But I mean, we yeah. have we have fantastic hymns in our hymnals. So we we, we do, and and we we have some of both. And there's some people that will they will dis disparage the more devotional yeah. um, uh, hymns like that, and it's. It's it's unfortunate because I think they do have a place. They do, yeah. They they do, and so we have some like this that that we've inherited yeah. from yeah. different places. Um, more of them tend to come from from authors like Paul Gerhardt, who was a century after Luther, you know, in the and in the Lutheran tradition. Yeah. But this one actually comes from from Italy, from um, a a a man named uh, Bianco uh, da Siena, and he was not trained as a clergy person. Um, but he was inspired by the Franciscans who wrote a lot of this type of devotional poetry. And so he modeled it after that, um, after the, the kind of uh, poetry that, that they did. And it was translated by Littledale, an Englishman in the 19th century, and really wasn't picked up until about um, uh, the turn of the century with Ralph Vaughan Williams, 1906. He, he included it in the English hymnal that he was the editor for. Now, we, we um, I don't know if I mentioned Vaughan Williams before. Um, he was the composer of Hail the Festival Day. The one that I brought The up. one yeah. that you referenced yeah. at the yeah. very beginning there. He So he had a brand new tune that, that he paired with this, and he named it Down Ampney, which was the name of the, uh, the village in, in Gloucester where he was born. And so that is the tune that we sing it to. So as the editor of the hymnal, he found this text that he thought was very worthy, this, this um, translated text uh, uh, that was a, a devotional text. He wrote a new melody for it and included it in the hymnal, and it survives to us to this, to this day. Um, and it sounds, it sings a lot, a lot like a folk song, but Vaughan Williams was very into collecting folk songs. And, and, uh, and I think he was able to bring that into his own compositions that they just seem very natural, like a, like a, like a folk song. Um, and so if we look at this one uh, a little bit, um, you can see that it's, it, the, the, the phrasing of it is, is definitely very different than the other one. Um, there's certainly there's an invocation uh, sentiment to it. Come down, O love divine, seek thou this, this soul of mine, um, and visit it with thine own ardor glowing. O comforter, draw near, within my heart appear, 
and kindle in it thy holy flame bestowing. It's just this very personal uh, appeal to the Holy Spirit, you know, to come and dwell within you. Um, and uh, stanza three is, is particularly interesting. Let holy charity uh, mine outward ves vesture be. So it's, it's kind of referencing those gifts of the Spirit. This is one of these things that, that, that you would be charitable and kind. That, that, that's one of those gifts of the Spirit that you pray for. And lowliness become mine inner clothing. Kind of that austerity, you know, that some of these early uh, religious uh, that they would pray for, or that was the lifestyle that they would they would try to emulate. Um, true lowliness of heart, which takes the humbler part, and and o'er its own shortcomings weeps with loathing. Yeah, um, um, it's a it's a it's a beautiful text, but very different in character than the other one. So, um, um, do you know this hymn that well? I, I... I, I'm sure I've heard it. I guess uh, this initially, just trying to think of it, I, I can't remember the tune. By okay. Means, well, well, we will launch it and give it a give it a try anyway. Um, why don't we sing stanzas one and three, since those are the two that I kind of referenced most most here. Um, what makes it uh, a very, I think, singable and, and easy hymn tune and, and kind of just natural is there's just a lot of stepwise motion, and I think a lot of good hymn tunes have that. Um, and this one is certainly fits that description. A lot of a lot of uh, stepwise motion, not not an excessive range, high or low, um, and it just unfolds in a very logical way. Come down, O love divine, seek thou this soul of mine and visit it with thine own ardor glowing. O Comforter, draw near, within my heart appear, and kindle it thy holy flame bestowing. Let holy charity mine outward vesture be, and lowliness become mine inner clothing. True lowliness of heart, which takes the humbler part, and o'er its own shortcomings weeps with loathing. Yeah, a, a, a tune that's definitely newer to Lutherans, but certainly one that's, uh, uh, I think it, it was a good choice for them to, to include in this, in this hymnal. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so let us pray. And uh, I would propose that uh, it, with our prayers, I might uh, include uh, stanza six of the previous hymn. It says, what of our prayers? I'll, I'll kind of add it in with it. So, okay, it's part of the colic? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll yeah. just speak it. But yeah. Sure, okay. <laughs> All right, let us pray. O Lord, have mercy upon us. O Christ, have mercy upon us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Our Father, who art in heaven, heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and take them to heart, that by the patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Gracious Lord, uh, uh, we know that you have promised to send us the Holy Spirit. We grant, we, we ask that you would uh, grant, continue to grant us that Holy Spirit, that uh, by it we may be taught to know the Father, the Son, and uh, and to know that uh, you from both uh, three in one, that uh, we, uh, we, your name, may ever bless in our lives, the truth confess, that truth of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's Bible study podcast. It is our hope that it has helped you grow in faith and appreciation of our Lutheran worship traditions. Speaking of worship, remember that from Memorial Day through Labor Day, our Sunday services are at 8 and 9.30 a.m. And our Monday service remains at 6.30 p.m. God's peace be with you.